the first pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Jadavian Clowney, defensive end, South Carolina. With the 43rd pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, we the Houston Texans select Bernardrick McKinney, linebacker, Mississippi State. The Houston Texans select G DJ Reader, defensive end, Clemson. The 23rd pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Titus Howard, tackle, Alabama State. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and making his second appearance on the podcast as part of our second interview as we look towards the draft or what is left of the draft anyway for the text. We're joined by Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks again for having or giving us the time again this year. Um, what's uh, what's your draft weekend look like? Uh, in your, I assume you'll be doing it from home this year, but what's... Uh, What's your setup after the last year, sort of the uh, Cliff Kingsbury to Bill Belichick's dog drew a bit of attention, but what's your setup at home? Yeah, so I, we're actually going to be in studio this year. We're going to do a live draft show Thursday, Friday, and Saturday during all seven rounds in the PFF studios in Cincinnati. So I'll be on camera for hours on end covering this draft. It'll be interesting. I'm super excited about it. This draft is one of the more interesting drafts we've really seen over the past few years with how many quarterbacks could go in the top 10. The receiving class is obviously interesting. Eight offensive tackles that are ranked inside the top 40 on PFF's big board. There's just a lot of talent at premium positions in this class, so much that – and a lot of teams that need quarterback help. You know, obviously um, the first two teams drafting, first three teams drafting, looking to grab a quarterback now with San Francisco trading up. And then you have Denver at nine, Carolina at eight. Even after trading for Sam Darnold, you can't say that position solved. New England spending more money than they ever have in the Bill Check era. A lot of fun narratives to follow this offseason. Yeah, and how have you found and how have your colleagues found sort of collecting data points on guys? Because how does, for somebody like uh, Panay Suel, that's maybe not played for a year or uh, Trey Lance has played you know one, one showcase game, how does that kind of affect how you can analyze these guys and, and put a grade out for them? Yeah, it's been difficult, man. A lot of the players that did opt out in 2020, guys like Caleb Farley, Gregor Rousseau, you know, you didn't see, you know, Panay you just haven't seen these guys play. And I think it's made things difficult. Some players more than others, you know, I think a name that comes to mind is Tay Gowan, outside cornerback for UCF that one year after transferring from Miami of Ohio, had a standout season with UCF in 2019, opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID concerns. He had a um, premature daughter, had COVID, gave it to his grandmother, I think, or his mother, I can't remember specifically, but one of his family members and his daughter. Um, he's been through a lot, and I think a lot of players have been through a lot. Greg Rousseau opted out uh, due to family concerns. You know, his mom's a nurse and was well-versed in the subject of COVID-19 when things were breaking. It, it's an interesting class. You're, you're not getting as much film, as much, you know, inputs, for every player as you would in previous years. Even, you know, the interview process has been very different for teams. You obviously aren't able to bring teams in to work out. You aren't able to bring teams to, you know, players to dinner. You aren't able to do these things that you have in previous draft classes. So a lot more variables at play, a lot more question marks at play. It's made things difficult. 
And how do you think um, teams will approach that then in terms of in, in terms of how they pick guys? Because, I mean, the vast majority, I mean, you've got to think the senior bowl will be over overused or the guys that went to the senior bowl stand in good stead long as they impressed to a degree. You've not had the sort of top 30 visits. What do you think teams will approach this this draft with? One with caution or do you think there's kind of less less to lose and less to be concerned about? No, I think it, there's going to be some caution. I, I think there's nothing a front office takes more makers hate more than unknowns question marks you know they want they want medical checks 100 percent. they want background checks 100 percent. they want all these things they want all the tape they can get and you're just not going to get it like you're not going to get Panay Sewell's 2020 tape you're not going to get Gregory Rousseau's 2020 tape it's not coming and you know that obviously has a lot you know some teams will be concerned with that type of stuff concerned that you know especially with you know normally with draft classes so much of the evaluation is is based in their most recent season, their most mature season in college football, and you really didn't get to see that from Jamar Chase, Micah Parsons, Panay Sewell, Gregor Rousseau, guys that were projected as first-round picks, and obviously a lot of them will go in the first round still. There are some teams that are wary of that, though. Yeah, I mean, we talked last year, we were kind of going through some prospects, and the Texans drafted their smallest draft class of their history with five picks. Um, of the guys they took last year, uh, Blacklock, Grenard, Heck, Reed, and uh, Isaiah Coulter in the fifth round, what are you? Is there is there any any of those guys that you think, based on what you saw and what you know of them, uh, despite the limited tape last year, do you think any of these guys have got a chance to to make a a, a jump to, or the sort of fable jump from year one to year two, where you see the most improvement in these guys in the league? I really liked Ross Blacklock as a project. I think he needs to get a lot better along with, you know, his his teammate formerly at TCU, Ben Banneger. They held those guys in similar regard. You know, they have good athleticism. They have good tools. Can they become good football players? I think they're going to take some time. I also like Grenard in a similar way. I think those two guys um, could have some success in the next year. I think Reed's already been good. You know, I think he's the guy that can already has already been good. And I, I was never a big fan of Charlie Heck. You know, I didn't like him at the Senior Bowl. He looked sloppy, looked gangly. That's another guy that's going to need some development to really take a year or two leap. But I think Blacklock would probably be my favorite um, to actually take a step forward because, I mean, he has the tools. He just needs to be developed and, and just uh, better technically. Yeah, and you, t- and you touched on it earlier. How would you, obviously, the Texans kind of out of the – out of the first two two rounds, still living the cost of that Laramie Tunsil trade. But how would you um, characterize the later round, or the projected later rounds anyway at this stage? And I know it's a bit of a crapshoot right now in terms of where teams' evaluations and grades are for these guys. But in terms of the depth positions that there may be some meat left on the bones in the later rounds for Houston to go and pick, what kind of positions um, and what would you? How would you class this overall? Um, vintage in, in 21 of in terms of depth at each position yeah i mean i do think there's a lot of depth at tackle i think there's a lot of depth at receiver if you're looking to add like a slot type at the position i do think there's depth there interior deep you know when i look at depth in a class there are certain positions that i look for first you know these lower value positions where you can get legitimate starters late day two day three specifically interior offensive line and defensive tackle like depending on the assignment and alignment you want for your defensive tackles, you get a Tyler Shelvin of LSU late day two, early day three, or Bobby Brown of Texas A&M, um, Jay Tufele or Marlon Tweet Pelotu of USC, the two USC boys, Tommy Togiai of Ohio State. These are guys that 
probably won't come off the board until round three, round four, round five, but can come in and be productive, you know, productive starters early because they play a low value position and they don't play a ton of snaps. Like Shelvin is not an 800 snaps player. He's a three to 400 snaps player at his size. Same with Bobby Brown. Like these are guys that are very specific, very specialized skill sets that if you're looking for that skill set in your defense, you can go and attack and you don't have to spend significant draft capital for it. And then I think the same could be said about interior offensive line. You look at this interior offensive line class and think about guys that could be available round two, round three. Uh, Kendrick Green of Illinois is a, is a guy I really do like. He might go uh, as high as top of round two. That's how, you know, how, how explosive and how rare of an athlete he is. Creed Humphrey, the center out of Oklahoma, could play guard or center in the NFL. Trey Smith, a former five-star, a project worth investing in late day three or late day two, early day three. Ben Cleveland of Georgia, Deontay Brown uh, of Alabama. Like, go get yourself some of these interior offensive linemen that are automatically going to be pushed down boards because of the value of the position. Because you know they can come in and start. You draft a a Ben Cleveland, a Creed Humphrey in round three or round four, you're going to get a productive starter out of the gate at a lower value position, but you're spending low draft capital on. Yeah, and how do you see the, the sort of talent production line from college developing now? Because it, it seems like every year it's wide receiver, you know, it's the greatest uh, class for wide receivers. It seemed like a dearth of talent at offensive line for a long time, but certainly last year and now into this year, that seems to change as well. What do you what do you sort of attribute that to? And what, what do you see as the sort of trends that the, the college talent is moving towards? Yeah, I mean, I think with the, you know, Simply put, colleges are just putting more wide receivers on the football field now. You know, as it becomes a passing league, colleges are putting a lot more wide receivers on the football field, and you're seeing a lot more developed wide receiver talent in the NFL. I also think that you're seeing, you know, better secondary players, better players in coverage. Like, you have to stop the pass and throw the football well in college to win now. You know, Nick Saban said it best a few weeks ago, and he said, you can't just run the football and have good defense anymore. You need to pass, and you need to stop the pass. So I do think that's a big reason why – we're seeing a lot of talent at the receiver position get developed in the NFL. As for the curve in development, this year is going to be a lot better than last year. I'll tell you that right now. We saw a ton of disappointing rookie seasons from players, specifically on the defensive side of the ball in 2020. And I think that's largely because they're behind the eight ball. You know, no preseason, abbreviated offseason full of Zoom meetings and no actual practice. It would have been very difficult to make that transition from college to the NFL in year one in 2020. I think you'll see some second year leaps that maybe you don't expect in 2021 and also a lot easier of a curve for rookies in 2021. Yeah, and do you, do you think some of the, the rookies this year will come in and contribute in a way perhaps some of the guys just weren't simply used to last year because they've had that sort of digital environment, reduced teaching hours, um, got used to kind of learn and absorb absorbing yeah. information via Zoom. Do you think that that's probably prepared this class better than last year's one by the co- with COVID kind of changing and all the protocols involved with the league? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if anything, players got a lot more tech savvy and more re- probably more realized more that they can do from home. You know, you don't need to be in the facility. You don't need to be on the practice field to continue to kind of perfect your craft. You can watch film at home. You can do Zoom conferences and Zoom discussions at home. And I think that could help a lot of motivated players that are interested in continuing to perfect the craft get better without necessarily being in the facility. Yeah, and, and I suppose round, round one and two is kind of the, the glamorous points um, of that. Is you, are you expecting any shocks come day one in the sort of first half of day two? Is there any sort of inflection points you think could have a bit of a domino effect in terms of how, how these picks pan out? 
I'm probably going to be pretty surprised at the number of linebackers that do go in round one. I'm hearing that Jamin Davis, the Kentucky linebacker, yeah. could stay in round one. Zayvon Collins of Tulsa could be a round one player. You obviously have Michael Parsons there, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. There's a lot of linebacker talent here, and I'm not 100% convinced all of them are legit first-round players. Like I don't think I would take any linebacker in the first round, off-ball linebacker in the first round, really after Micah Parsons and maybe Jeremiah Usukormo. And that's largely because of just how valuable the position is. It's not a very highly valued position on the market, nor is it a highly valuable position on the football field. But I do think that um, you'll see more linebackers than I probably take in the first round go in the first round. That's a bit of a surprise. And I also think people are probably in for a bit of a surprise for how many receivers actually do, do go in the first round. I think a lot of people love this wide receiver class, but I think you could see some of these receivers get pushed to day two because of how much talent there is at offensive tackle, how much talent there is at quarterback. I think there's a lot of really talented corners. I think there could be four or five corners that go in the first round. Um, again, I think it's going to be interesting to see how many wide receivers do ultimately go because obviously everyone loves the big three. I think all three of those guys go in the first round. But after that, you know, does Kadarius Tony go in the first? Does Rashad Bateman go in the first? Can you get Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore also in the first? It'll be interesting to see because there's a lot of talented receiving prospects in this class. Yeah, and I think you, you saw that last year, and I think there's there's definitely a, a trend or, or a, an obvious trend that you can you can wait today to and still get productive players at the wide receiver spot. It's, uh, it seems like a bit of a bottleneck, I think, in some positions. Um, so after all these guys kind of funnel out and the, the cream of the crop is uh, perhaps gone, um, is there any guys you think you could maybe see slipping for any sort of off-field or character or tape questions that... that that people probably expect to go high, but you've got a sense they might not. I do think that some slips that I'm hearing, I mean, Panay Sewell might slip more because a lot of people saw him as like the consensus number three overall pick. He could fall potentially outside the top 10, especially if teams do view Rashawn Slater as the better offensive tackle. You could see him going 10 to Dallas, 11 to New York. Um, I don't know. I think there's a chance that he falls maybe than people expect. I also think Caleb Farley having two back surgeries over the last two years. I think you're going to see him, probably fall a little bit further than people expect. And then the elephant in the room, I mean, it's Justin Fields. Like a lot of, you know, the media and fans are higher on Justin Fields than the league. You know, the league is higher on some other quarterback prospects. So I do think that um, he's another guy that could potentially slide a little bit further. Darisaw is a, is a name I'm hearing that maybe the media or others are higher on than maybe the league is right now. I think Darisaw could be a guy that slides maybe farther than people think. Those are some names that come into my head uh, initially. Yeah, and as far as the as the Texans don't get any gear and only one pick in the first two days, but starting at kind of sixty seven and onwards in that range, um, I think it's a roster full of a lot of holes and a and a lot of um, guys. You're probably not going to get game changers at this stage of the draft. But in terms of guys who were moving to a four three under Lovey Smith, certainly for the time being, how long that last remains to be seen. But in terms of the the edge guys uh, later in this round uh, or in the later rounds, round three and on. Is there any guys in there you think we should be keeping an, an eye out for some names that may fall the Texans? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Looking at kind of where PFF sees this class and what guys that could be falling that PFF is specifically high on. Um, Rashad Bateman, you know, is a guy that if he falls that far, you have to sprint the card in. He's a very talented player. Walker Little of Stanford has only played in one game over the past two years due to COVID-19 and injury concern or an injury in 2019. Um, really talented player. He's ranked 24th on PFS Big Board, but could fall due to you know just overall lack of experience in the injury, obviously, in 2019. Um, 
Similarly, I mean, this tackle class, man, there's going to be guys that fall. Alex Leatherwood of Alabama, Sam Cosme of Texas, um, obviously Walker Little of Stanford, the tackle there. You start to see the guys slip. You have to jump on forward. I think Jamar Johnson, the safety of Indiana, is another name to look for that maybe PFF is higher on than the consensus. Carlos Basham Jr., edge defender of Wake Forest, is another player that I think PFF might be higher on than the media or the NFL. So I think that's where I look for in terms of steals for sure. Yeah, and in terms of in terms of just beefing up that uh, front seven, is there any guys there that you think could be uh, could be there in the later rounds that maybe just haven't quite developed yet, but you've got a you've got a, a sort of higher grade or a, de- a de- developmental grade on that you think the Texans could get either get an edge or defensive tackle? Yeah, I mean Carlos Basham Jr. Multi gap versatility, super athletic for a guy his size. I love him in the front seven. Ronnie Perkins, edge defender, Oklahoma. A guy that I wish tested better, but didn't. But still, you kind of see some of the juice on tape. He had some really good reps against Tevin Jenkins, the Oklahoma State offensive tackle. Aline McNeil is one of my favorite defensive tackles in this class. Played basketball and baseball, linebacker and running back in high school. But he's a 320-pound nose tackle for NC State. He's a hashtag fun player to watch, my friend. He is an interesting candidate to play nose at the NFL. I'm really excited for him. Um, Peyton Turner. Edge defender for Houston, another guy with multi-gap versatility, can play inside, can play outside, has the size, just really raw and hasn't really seen a lot of good competition. But I think all those names kind of come to mind for especially, you know, uh, day two, day three. And how do you see the depth uh, cornerback? It's a, it's a perennial position the Texans have been trying to fill for a number of years. Obviously had Lonnie Johnson uh, be moved to safety after coming out in Kentucky in 2019. Kevin Johnson in years prior at Wake Forest didn't quite pan out. Is there any guys you think you could come in and be developmental, may not necessarily start in the early parts of the season, but have got the, the tools and the physical upside that can they can play on the boundary as a corner? See, I'm scared about the depth of this corner class. I do not love it. If you want a good one that's going to come out and be talented out of the gate, I think you're going to need to draft them in round one, one of the top four guys. Um, I do think that it's tough, man. I do think that you look at a Tyson Campbell of Georgia, a Fatimelo Fanwu of Syracuse, Eric Stokes of Georgia, Kelvin Joseph of Kentucky. I mean, you're talking about guys that do have tools that can come in and, and maybe be productive outside cornerbacks in the NFL, but I just don't think you're going to see it from year one from those guys. I think Tyson Campbell, Tay Gowan, Fatimelo Fanwu, Eric Stokes, Kelvin Joseph, Benjamin St. Just, like all of those guys, it's like, yeah, I like them as outside cornerback prospects, but not guys that would really want to come in and be be starters year one. I think those guys are going to need some time in the NFL. I think the top four for me, Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, and then Greg Newsom of Northwestern. I love all four of those guys, but I think all four go in the first round. A name it might throw you here, but Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas is a guy that read and mocked to me uh, in a round I did. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, Robert Rochelle right now ranked 138th on PFS Big Board. He's got the speed. I think he's going to, you know, I think right, you know, Mike Renner wrote in the draft guide that he's a bit of a blank canvas. You know, he just, he has the ideal athleticism. He's got the side. I mean, you like what he's got, but when, when are we going to see it? You know, that's where the concerns are really. It's when are we going to see him play at a high level? He never graded all that well at Central Arkansas. You wanted to see better production from a guy that, you know, is, has all the traits, has the speed, has the length. You know, he's just sloppy technique, just needs to get better there. 
Yeah, and in, ter- in terms of uh, the some of the sort of off the ball linebackers, is there any guys in later in the rounds? Texans obviously moving to a four three. You need a whole variety of skill sets over those three positions that they're transitioning assistant to. Is there any guys in you know, smaller school or or maybe a year coming back from injury? You think at the at the linebacker spot across all three that that you guys are grading quite highly on, but perhaps some of the league or general analysts aren't aren't so high on. Yeah, I'm interested to see where Nick Bolton goes. He's not a small, small school linebacker, obviously, but I do think the league is going to be lower on him than where maybe PFF sees him. That's a guy that I really like, a really feisty player. Um, I really like him, I think. But you look at this class, you know, PFF right now, I think, has six or seven linebackers ranked inside the top 100. And then after that, there isn't one. You know, you know this, is, this is a very tough linebacker class for depth. You're banking on, you know, Baron Browning improving. You're banking on Dylan Moses improving and a lot of some raw talent there. I think you're, you're interested in Monty Rice of Georgia, Pete Werner, Ohio state. We need to see these guys play some better football, you know, before we uh, really invest in them as like starters. I think a lot of these guys have special teams potential out of the gate, but if you want a linebacker to come in and contribute, I think you are going to have to take them in either round one or round two. Yeah. And flipping over to the other side of the ball, I think the, it seems certainly a, a top heavy class for them with the guys with a lot of questions about them, but Texans definitely needing to invest at running backs. Some of the free agency signings might suggest they're not, but have you got any later round guys um, in terms of the tailback position you think might be be worth a watch? Talking to a PFF guy, man, all I have are later round guys, running backs. It's all, I, it's all, it's where the value is. I do think that this running back class, I don't love it. I do think if I'm going to invest like a late round pick in one, I'm going to take one like Chuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State, Trey Sermon of Ohio State, two guys that I think could be available in round three, round four, that have you know have opportunities there. Khalil Herbert is a PFF favorite. Michael Carter of North Carolina, um, getting a little bit further down the list. Puka Williams, Jr., if you can get past his off-field or if you approve his off-field, he's an interesting player. Um, Javian Hawkins of Louisville didn't test as well as I thought he would, but someone who's very, very fun to watch and, and has a, a lot of speed at the position. It all really depends on what you want at the position. What do you want to do? At running back, do you want a three-down player? That's when you're looking at Chuba Hubbard or Trey Sermon. Do you want a scat back pass catcher? That's Puka Williams or Javian Hawkins. I think it really depends on how you want to address the position in those rounds. Yeah, and in terms of guys who can go up high point, high point the ball on the perimeter at wide receiver, obviously Texans had one of those and decided to move on. And <laughs> I think it's definitely a need if you're looking at the depth chart. There isn't any kind of physical bodies. Probably Chris Conley and. And Isaiah Cutler, the two biggest guys at the position of wide receiver. Is there any kind of Colin Johnson, kind of later type big body guys that you think that might provide some value there that can uh, dominate and box guys out on the boundary? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think later, you know, with, with P, when PFF's looking at the receiver position, those types usually do fall a little bit further. I think Cornell Powell of Clemson is one of those guys. Nico Collins of Michigan, Simi Fajoko of Stanford, uh, Josh Palmer of Tennessee, Deami Brown, North Carolina. Those are guys that I think round two, round three, or if not day three, you could start to look at. Um, Tamorian Terry, Florida State, uh, Jan- Jonathan Adams Jr., Arkansas State, Tyler Vaughns of USC. Like some of these guys, like they maybe aren't like legit athletes. Sage Surratt, maybe they're not legit athletes and aren't going to separate a ton in the NFL, but they can high point the football and, and win in contested catches. Yeah, in a position I probably never thought I'd be asking about this offseason. But quarterback, is there any guys later on or developmental guys in the sort of second and third tier that you guys have got agreed on that potentially, you know, might line up to a Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott uh, grade that you've seen in the past that 
that uh, that's got got some of the traits and just needs a bit of nurture at the next level, and there might be a prospect in there. Is there any any of those that you think could could come into play? Yeah, I mean the, the names that get thrown around a ton are obviously um, Davis Mills, the Stanford quarterback that just just hasn't played a ton of football, but he's got some tools you'll like. Kellen Mond of Texas A and M, Jamie Newman of Georgia. You go a little bit further down if you're looking for some talent there, maybe Felipe Franks of Arkansas who. Crazy build. He's built more like a tight end. He's got a hose, though. I mean, that guy has an absolute cannon. I think Felipe Franks in like the sixth or the seventh could be a fun player to consider. But um, you know, that's where that's where my mind is right now. I think Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, Jamie Newman, Felipe Franks, swing the bat on one of those guys in the later rounds and, and see what you get. Yeah, and in, ter- in terms of just your experience of covering the draft, Austin, how many guys do you you get that kind of you grade out highly? Um, they go on to be successful year one, year two. That kind of that fall in the later rounds of your say your top top hundred. How many of those fall in the sort of second hundred of picks? At quarterback or at all positions? Or just all positions, yeah. I, I do think that you know PFF is normally higher on you know PFF PFF's approach to player evaluation is very different to how the NFL sees prospect evaluation. So I do think there's a lot of opportunities um in the draft to see like pff favorites fall further than maybe the other media projects i do think oftentimes players that get drafted outside the top 100 though the hit rate comes so low it's less than one percent where you find a legitimate starter that you offer on a second contract um i I think it's really rare like you need to hit mike and i were talking about today on the two foreign drafts podcast it's like you need to hit on your top 100 picks You, you if you don't hit on those and you bank on finding that hidden gem at pick 260 or whatever it, or 160, whatever, that it's not going to work out. Oftentimes, it's not going to work out. The best athletes go in the first 100 picks. After that, it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's just trying to rebuild this team or even take a step to rebuild this team in this offseason is difficult, I think, in, in terms of the uh, the talent going on. In terms of, of names or guys, I know we've gone through a lot there, Austin, but in terms of guys um, that you think will surprise people with, Quick day one production. Have you got any of those? Got any position? But have you got a serve? I like that. That's interesting. Guys that will surprise with like legit production early. I think Trayvon Morig, the TCU safety. I think he can come in of any safety in this class. He can come in and be a productive free safety. I think similarly, uh, Elijah Molden, slot cornerback out of Washington, who ton of success playing in the slot in Washington. He comes in. You ask him to play slot, you know, slot corner in the NFL. You're going to see immediate production from a player like him who will probably be available on day two like and i think again you go it goes back to some of these these positions that teams just don't value as much slot corner safety interior offensive line interior defensive line uh in terms of like specialized positions i think that's where i lean in terms of finding guys that are on day two day three that can come in and be productive out of the gate like if you ask Tyler Shelvin or Ali McNeil to be your big boy nose tackle on first and second down early in their career, they're going to be good at it. Like I think, and you can get those guys on day two, day three. Like that's again, positions I target Quinn Miners, the Wisconsin whitewater offensive lineman that played center at the senior bowl, but guard, um, but guard at, at Wisconsin whitewater. That's another player. I was like, Hey, he's not going to come off the board until round two, round three, but out of the gate, I think he could be a productive player on the interior. Yeah, is there any guys that, that are getting a lot of buzz out there but you you at PFF are just completely underwhelmed by? Is there any ones that you think could be busts based on the metrics? I do think Gregory Rousseau kind of scares me. You know, Gregory Rousseau, that pro day was all-time bad. I mean, he has the length, he's got the size, but that's it. Like, change of direction drills, bad. Explosiveness, bad. Tape, bad. Like, this is 
an interesting situation. Like Greg Rousseau, he's just a ball of clay, and he's not even that good clay. That at that point, it's just really tough. It, it, it's really tough to um, to buy into Greg Rousseau as a first round player. We dropped him to thirty sixth on our board after seeing that pro day. Kind of abysmal to see. Um, I think other guys are like injury concern guys, like Caleb Farley with the back surgeries, Jalen Phillips with the concussions. It's going to be very difficult. You know, they they could really see. You know, they 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 could really see. Um, obviously, their careers derailed by injuries. Those guys are obviously could be potential busts that get drafted in the first round. Um, outside of that, I mean, it's tough. It's tough to identify busts, man. Uh, Jeremiah, I don't know. I wouldn't put him in the bust category, but I think he could get overdrafted. But whatever. Yeah, that's it. I think well, they often say that, don't they? Heart, heart guys stay heart, and it's uh, it's got a tendency to translate into the league. And have you got have you got any guys who are completely under the radar uh, that nobody's really talking, not really any top one hundreds, but you've you've got a, a a set of a set of grades on them that uh, you you think might some scout out there probably in some office has noticed. I think Tay Gowan, man. Tay Gowan, the UCF cornerback, I think we're higher on him than any other analyst right now. I think he's not on a lot of people's radars. And I think it's because he obviously opted out of the 2020 season and only really had one season uh, playing in, you know, playing at UCF. I mean, he transferred from Miami, Ohio, played at UCF in 2019, then opted out of the season. He's a guy that will be one of PFF's guys in this draft class. I think another guy, Kay Johnson, South Dakota State. He's on team's radars. He went to the Senior Bowl. A lot of people like his game. I think he's going to get underdrafted. And in terms of just your experience of covering in the draft, and this is Nick Casario's first draft in Houston, obviously the first time he gets to make all the calls himself. But from what you've learned of New England drafting principles, uh, what do you think, uh, what do you see him being as the, or how do you see him approaching this draft? And is there any kind of tendencies or anything you, Texans can expect um, in the way Nick will operate this year? I, it's tough, man. I, I think the, it, it's been wild to see how he's built this team through the offseason through free agency. You know, it's like he spent – he didn't spend a lot of money, but he brought in a ton of players, I think over 33 different players this offseason on free agency contracts. I think what he's really looking for is is high-character guys. I, I don't think he's looking for, you know, any one player. I think he's looking for uh, – to, to really change an entire culture. And I think um, it's hard to really expect what he's going to go after. I wouldn't be surprised if he traded back some try and just continue to add players like they obviously are on a mission to completely transform that locker room so i think you could see them trading back and I think them grabbing high character guys linebacker in certain positions they go after and um the new england defense was obviously built but then i think is there anything particularly you think that in the last couple of years and why new england spent so much money in free agency this year is because they simply didn't have the guys to up on a second contract is there any kind of weakness in their approach that you think that uh that sort of makes up or a commonality there that they've not had the guys to uh, to give those second contracts to through the draft. I mean, I think you look at last year's class, they took a lot of risks on guys that needed to get a lot better in the NFL before they were good players. And I think taking risks on projects is always going to be difficult. You know, it's so you have to bank on development, you have to bank on coaching staff, and obviously they fired Bill O'Brien halfway through the season last year. It's very difficult to develop to develop talent when you are going through the coaching staffs and those things. It's, it's definitely going to be an interesting draft this year. Do you think the the, the changes of, of some digital and not all the coaching staff and, and the front office guys being at home, do you think there'll be any weight or any difference in the way it's run this year versus last year? I, don't, I, think, I think they will see, you know, the draft will be run in a studio. I think with COVID vaccinations and those types of things kind of ramping up in the United States, I think you'll see a more normal coverage 
in person in Cleveland even uh, of the 2021 NFL draft. Thank you very much for your time um, and I appreciate you joining us again this year and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have a bit more success um, in Houston in this year's draft than we did last year but appreciate the time man. Of course thank you. Thank you.